I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Last term, it was a high school football coach who wanted to pray on the 50-yard line right after games. This term, it was a part-time postal worker in rural Pennsylvania who didn't want to work on Sundays. I told them I'm not going to be able to work on the Lord's Day at all. I didn't really think I should have to quit. I really expected the post office to find a way to accommodate me. And the Supreme Court agreed with Gerald Groff in a unanimous decision, expanding an employer's obligation to accommodate the religious practices of its employees without clear guidelines. Under what circumstances can an employer force co-workers to carry the burden of an employee's religious practices or beliefs or even their religious expression? Joining me is Debbie Kaminer, a professor at Baruch College at the City University of New York. Tell us a little about this case of the fill-in postal worker who refused to fill in on Sundays. So basically what happened is that there was a postal worker in rural Pennsylvania, and he was a Sabbatarian, and he eventually ended up quitting his job and sued his employer because he had been subject to progressive discipline for refusing to work on his Sunday shift. And the Postal Service simply was unable to find coverage in the small rural postal office. And what did the Supreme Court find, the broad ruling? The big issue in this case is that there is a law, a civil rights law, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and it mandates religious accommodation in the workplace unless it would cause an undue hardship. The big issue in this case is what does undue hardship mean? Now, the Supreme Court had previously said in an earlier case from about 47 years ago that undue hardship means more than a de minimis or minimal cost. In this case, the court changed its ruling and said that undue hardship, in fact, means a substantial cost. So what this means is that now additional accommodation is going to be needed of religious employees in the workplace. In terms of Graf himself, the case was sent back down to the lower court to decide whether or not accommodation is possible under this new substantial cost standard. So in terms of Graf, we still don't know whether or not accommodation of him is required. In terms of employees throughout the United States, this is really a pretty drastic change in the rules of the workplace. It sounded, in this case, like the post office did meet the standard of substantial cost. I mean, this was a rural post office, and officials initially tried to get substitutes for Groff shifts. They couldn't always accommodate him, and they said his absences created a tense environment and contributed to morale problems. I believe some employees even transferred out. Right, and the Supreme Court even acknowledged that. The Supreme Court said in this specific case, it might be a substantial cost. We just don't know. We're sending it back down with this new rule, meaning that you have to accommodate unless there's a substantial cost. 
just so that you, the lower court, knows more accommodation is needed. And the Supreme Court actually, you know, agreed with that in this specific case. I think the really big issue in this case is it's changing the way rights are balanced. So it's changing the balance of religious rights against other fundamental rights in the workplace, whether that's the right to be free from discrimination or the right to public health, you know, or whatever it might be. It's a real sea change in terms of how the workplace is going to run in the future. So explain the additional question about when an accommodation burdens the colleagues or the co-workers of the religious employee. What's interesting to me is the Roberts Court is both pro-business and also pro-religion. So they come down with this decision which requires additional religious accommodation in the workplace, but they do it in a way that leaves the door open for employers to shift the cost of accommodation to coworkers. So to give you an example, you have an employee who needs time off for religious reasons. He's a Sabbatarian. The employer could pay employees premium wages or overtime. The employer could hire additional employees. All of that would be a cost on the employer. What employers may end up doing instead is saying to coworkers, sorry, you have no choice. This is what the law is now, and you need to work the religious employees on desirable shifts. So I think that is the way that we may end up seeing this burden being shifted to coworkers as opposed to the actual businesses being willing to you know, pay the additional cost. So what did the court mean when it said that the impact on coworkers must, quote, have ramifications for the conduct of the employer's business? What does that I mean? have no idea. I have no idea. And I think that's what the problem is. Not that I have no idea, but that nobody has any idea. Mm-hmm. The decision focused primarily on the definition of undue hardship. And the idea is a substantial cost, not more than a de minimis cost. And then when it turned to the issue of burden on coworkers, you know, it was about a page and a half. It just included this kind of throwaway line about the conduct of the employer's business without really explaining what that means. So does that mean that if employees are very, very upset and complaining and it harms morale and productivity, it would be an undue hardship? But if you have employees who are scared about losing their jobs and making waves, so they just quietly do the religious employees' share of undesirable work, it's not an undue hardship? I just don't know. You know, in the past, most of the federal appellate courts that considered this issue said that a burden on a coworker alone could be an undue hardship. So just making a coworker work a religious employee's undesirable shift, that would be an undue hardship regardless of the impact on the business itself. And it's unclear at this point if that's still the law. Looking at the implications of this decision, why do you think the three liberal justices agreed? It was a unanimous decision, which I think is really, really quite shocking. And I think the reason why the liberal justices probably agreed with this is because it was a compromise that kept the court from going even further. That's my guess. I think the problem with the liberal justices going along with this is that by virtue of the fact it's a unanimous decision, the unanimity alone sort of makes it 
feel like it is a reasonable decision and it's not such a big decision. And I think that on top of all of the blockbuster decisions that came out at the end of the term on affirmative action and on student loans and on public accommodation laws, I think all of those decisions sort of took the focus away from Graf, which is also a crucially important decision. And the fact it was this unanimous decision, a lot of people, a lot of commentators sort of felt like it just wasn't that big a deal. And I think it is a huge, huge deal, huge change in the workplace. And it it just slipped by. So do you think that this is going to lead to a lot more litigation rather than less, just trying to figure out what the Supreme Court actually meant? Yes, I think it's going to lead to a lot more litigation for a few reasons. I think one is trying to figure out what the Supreme Court meant. And I think the second is religious rights activists sort of trying to test exactly what it means, how much accommodation can be required. I do think that this is really part of a broad trend of the Supreme Court favoring religious rights over other rights in cases where it's balancing religious rights against other really important fundamental rights. And I think this is going to end up leading to an enormous amount of litigation. And in this case, as you mentioned, it's a pro-business court and a pro-religion court, and they're ruling basically against business because it seems as if religious rights trump every other right that comes before this court. I agree with that. I agree that religion trumps other rights, and I think also the way the decision is drafted, allowing employers to shift the cost to the co-workers, in a way it does allow the court to still come down with a decision which is not pro-business, is not anti-business. It's, you know, really anti-co-workers who are not requesting religious accommodation. So you write that it's ironic, or you said scary. I say ironic that lower courts may now require permitting expression that demeans LGBTQ plus individuals under a civil rights law aimed at prohibiting employment discrimination and providing equality in the workplace. I mean, you can't yeah, make that up. It's an, no, it's insane. It's absolutely crazy that this is what is now going on. And particularly because that same civil rights law a few years ago in the Bostock case was interpreted to cover and include as a protected class LGBTQ plus individuals. The one thing I feel like is sometimes a little bit lost is that You know, there are many cases where religious accommodation really is possible without it being an unfair burden on coworkers. Like if you have a business that work, you know, runs seven days a week, 365 days a year, and you have a Saturday Sabbatarian, you could probably arrange a shift swap where that person gets their Saturday off and works Sunday and someone else gets Sunday off and works Saturday. So, you know, there really are a lot of times and a lot of ways and cases where religious accommodation is possible. And I feel like sometimes the response to these types of cases almost comes out as being anti-religious. It's not that it's anti-religious, it's that you need to balance, you know, in society, religious rights are important, but there are other countervailing rights, which are also very, very important. 
Do you think the court also is being pushed because they're taking these cases? You have these Christian legal organizations that are specifically bringing these cases to push the envelope. For example, the case involving the Colorado web designer who hadn't designed any wedding websites yet and hadn't been asked by a gay couple to design their wedding website, yet took her case to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said she didn't have to design wedding websites for gay couples. I 100% agree with that. But the court doesn't have to grant cert or agree to hear these cases. One of the things which is really interesting in the Graf case is over the last few years, there were four times, including in the Graf case, where parties asked the Supreme Court to hear a case interpreting the religious accommodation requirement under Title VII and to increase the accommodation requirement. In the prior three cases, for sort of technical reasons, the court refused to hear the cases. But what the conservative justices did, a number of them wrote concurring opinions where they said, we agree we're not going to hear this specific case, but we want to hear an appropriate case where we can reinterpret the religious accommodation requirement of Title VII. So I think it really is the court looking for these kinds of cases. Is the addition of Amy Coney Barrett a reason why they're moving the way they are? I think it is a big issue. I think that since she has joined the court, it has really changed the balance when it comes to religious rights, not just in the workplace, but in society as a whole. Because this is part of the bigger trend, like you mentioned, the 303 creative case. You know, Dobbs wasn't brought as a religion case, but it really was a case that favored religious conservatives and overturning Roe v. Wade's right for an individual to have an abortion. There was the case last term, Kennedy versus Bremerton, that Mm -hmm. said that the First Amendment gives a high school football coach the right to kneel and pray at midfield after football games. So I think this really falls within this general context. And I can't think of a recent case involving a non-Christian religion. For example, someone who's a Muslim or an atheist. You know, interestingly, there was, and I'm trying to remember the exact date. It, it was sometime around 2015, 2016, Abercrombie, which involved a Muslim woman and her right to wear a hijab in the workplace oh, right. that interpreted this same statute. But in general, it is Christian conservatives who are bringing these cases. I really appreciate your insights, Debbie. That's Debbie Kaminer, a professor at Baruch College at the City University of New York. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than a destination. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all. All of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a Stiefel Financial Advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.